Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Obituary, You'll Die Trying. This is Andrew Hayden, former funeral director apprentice and now logistics worker here. And I've got John Thomas back with me again. Yes, I'm back for another episode. Another episode. Yep. Mm-hmm. Today we're going to be going over Nathan's most recent episode of You'll Die Trying, Leave It at the Door, Nurse. Well, Nathan had Julian. Yeah, dude, I'm, it's it's the end of the day. Like, I'm, I'm already <laughs> struggling to, like, remember anything. <laughs> I forget my name for a second, so... Yeah, dude, it's it's bad. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So Julie was on, and Julie works in hospice, but she's become viral in TikTok, Instagram, I think, Twitter maybe. She's got like all kinds of different social media platforms, and she posts a bunch of content about being a hospice nurse and, and what actually goes into it. Yeah. And it's pretty crazy. Like some of, if you want to go ahead and just dive in on some of the things yeah, she talked well about. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is pretty interesting. It just, it was, it's really cool to see um, someone from like from this profession to get blown up on social media like that. Because uh, I think we, we, you've mentioned it multiple times in um, past times where we've talked about how everyone's fascinated with um, just around death and what it entails. Mm-hmm. And I think it's. Um, like I, I personally can see why her TikTok page would blow up or Instagram page would blow up because I'm sure everyone was just fascinated with the stuff she posts. Right. And to kind of like see a normal person that you would see every day down the street who works in this field and get to know about what they do. Yeah, and I think too that even touching base off what you said, like the fact that she's bringing some insight and I think videos help a bunch with this oh, yeah. too, but she's bringing can, insight on like an unknown yeah, thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think because like you can hear all the stories about what they say, but like you're trying to piece it together, but when you actually have video evidence of like stuff they do and what their job entails, it's like you can actually almost connect with it in a deeper meaning. So it's... Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, like she... She talked about first too how she got like a bunch of backlash mm-hmm. and comments. Well, not a yeah. ton, but still, like even they were they were saying like that they she was euthanizing people and yeah. other things like that too. Like and de- insens- um, unsensitive. Yeah. Our, um, <laughs> what is what do they call like? Yeah, not desensitized. No, What's, yeah. What is it when you? It's mercy killing, maybe something like that. Well, well it's, euth- that's euthanasia. Yeah. 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 We said the, we just said the same <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even still though, that's. Like the, I don't know, like I, that just kind of shows the bad side of social media. Yeah. she's trying to use it as a good thing. That oh my gosh, she's. Yeah. I mean, she has the chance to reach millions of people on her TikTok platform, and she's got people talking about how she's literally killing individuals mm-hmm. or how she's she's just a bad person because she's doing a service oriented profession. And yeah, for sure. I don't know. I, I just think that, but that just shows the bad side of. I know. Yeah, people could be that nasty about something, that, and you you've given your life to this job, and like you yeah. do everything, and you're completely dedicated to serving others, mm-hmm. and you're getting bashed for it. I yeah. think that's so bad. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because you get to see, like, kind of like what you just talked about. You get to see both sides of how social media works. Like you know, mm-hmm. you have someone who's trying to put like some good out there to show that um, what she does and like how she she. Just by hearing her talk, you tell that she loves what she does too, mm-hmm. and so you get to see that. And you, you, she's just trying to bring what she does to more people so they can understand um, this side of caregiving. And then you have people who are always going to be out there trying to put put that down. You know, no matter what, you can post the best stuff, the best content out there, and just literally just be trying to spread joy and happiness. But there'll always be people who are going to try to put that down and turn it into a negative and make you sound like the bad person, you know? It's like... And and for what reason? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, that's what I'm thinking. It's like, what what good's going to come out of that, you know? If what do you gain from doing something yeah. like that either? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Seriously, I mean, it's just... And then on top of it, I, that's why, like, the one thing I hate about social media, too, is how pathetic it really kind of is that people hide behind their keyboards. Yeah. And they're going to say some of the, the crudest things to anybody that you would never say to him in person. Yeah, that's like, awesome. And you'd never, you'd never have the guts to do it and, and yeah. stand there face-to-face with him and tell them what you're actually thinking. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, yeah, for sure. So many keyboard warriors hide behind yeah. the I know, screen. That's the thing. I bet you, if there's a thousand comments that are negative, I bet you n- maybe less than two or three would actually say it to your face. Exactly, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I that's know. what you, that's what gossiping is for. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because no one wants to say it to your actual yeah. face. You're not supposed to know. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even like going into it though, too, like one of the cool things I think she really talked about was her experience with 
that that man she got really close with yeah. when she was at his house mm-hmm. and she had that weird feeling that she knew he was going to die that day yeah. and how she experiences a lot of things in her profession that are um I I'd, I'd like to think of them as well, near death mm-hmm. I guess I mean like telltale signs. I can't. Yeah, I can't what, even think of the word that I'm trying to put yeah, out like, here. Yeah, like just like so. I think I, I think I know where you're going. It's like signs that show that this person is coming to the end of their, their right. earthly life. Right. Yeah. Is that what you're? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> okay, you, yeah. You, you took the words out of my yeah. mouth. I couldn't find. Mm-hmm. I know that story was fascinating. It was um really interesting because I feel like you hear that, but like for her, it was something that what, what blew me away was she said that that's kind of a um like when they see that they know like it's very it seemed like very common for her. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like when you hear that story, it's like, wow, that's like, you know, blowing me away. Yeah. That that is um, happening. But she's like, it happens, not super common, but it does happen. Like a lot more common than what you think is what mm-hmm. I, yeah. I remember she'd said. And we actually have a cousin that his name's James, but he works in, in hospice care as well here locally. And he said that there are, are just so many stories that are identical to kind of what Julie had gone through too, of patients that are in hospice care that are getting ready to pass. And a lot of them will be talking about their grandmother that has been sitting in the the chair for the last 15 days, mm-hmm. been talking to them, things like that. Or they'd seen their parents who had been deceased for 40 years yeah. or something incredible like that. And you just, you don't really think about the supernatural side of things mm-hmm. and until you actually experience them. I mean, yeah, it kind of gives a whole new, like, <clears throat> at least for me, like, almost a new side of death. Like, I don't know, like you see, mm-hmm. um, at least for me, because when you, I mean, I feel like it's very common when you hear death, like we're here, um, when death is talked about, it's like you have that immediate kind of like sadness on your heart or like that darker feeling, you know, because death seems so gloomy. Yeah, and I mean, it's obviously it's like, it's natural, but it's something that we don't want to ever have to face, but it yeah. is natural. But then when you hear that, it's like, wow, that's such such a beautiful, like, peaceful moment that they're able to have like towards the end of their life. No, no, it's just. Right. No, it, it, I think you hit the nail on the head. JT, have you had any experiences or heard anybody talk about some of these? Cause Nathan refers to them as divine moments Yeah, with his grandfather. Mm-hmm. Well, his, we were talking about it after, um, with, with granddaddy Hayden. I mean, you know, yeah. our, our, our granddad had, um, I mean, I don't know the story super well, but I think he was, he was towards the end. I mean, like what last couple of weeks of his life, or last week of his life? For which one, Granddaddy Hayden? I know which. Oh, when he, when he saw um, his sister and oh, when his, he saw my granddad and, and his sister. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So you, you know a little more about that one than I. I've heard it, but I haven't. Yeah. So so our our granddad was um, was dying, and I think it's two. I think he died in two thousand four, but. 2000, I thought it was 04. Oh, it doesn't matter. 04, 05. It was was 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, he had a brain tumor. He had stage four lung lung cancer, colon cancer, all at the same time. And um, like about a week and a half or two weeks before he died, he was sitting in his living room in a recliner. And a lot of the family was going over to see him because they knew he was getting close. But he was sitting there by himself, staring at the fireplace on the edge of the room, just rocking back and forth and having a full-on conversation with a brick wall. And my Aunt Jill went over and said, Grant, and she said, Dad, who are you? Who are you talking to? And he kind of looked at her. He was puzzled and and said, what do you mean? Hmm. Can't you see I'm talking to Jimmy and Isabella right here? And they, she kind of froze and and knew that he was he was so serious in his statement. But... My granddaddy Jim, who's referring to as Jimmy there, um, he had passed away eight months before that happened. And my uh, and Isabella was his older sister who had died like three months before that too. And he had he'd yeah. seen both of them, was having a full conversation and was laughing. And, um, and then about three or four days before he died, he saw Jesus too yeah. in the living room. He was sitting there and he got really excited. Yeah. <laughs> and he was just just glowing and he he just kept moving around getting really excited and our aunt Vicky went over and said dad what what are you doing he said well can't you see he goes there's Jesus right there <laughs> so he just walked by yeah. and he was just, and, it, and just, it's just clear as day and <laughs> and what's even cooler about that story too is so that was 3 days before he had passed away aunt Vicky's husband our uncle Chris yeah his dad died in the early 70s i think when he was around 18 or 19 years old but his mom had said that his dad was bedridden and three days before he died, he had seen Christ. Hmm. 
And um, he just looked at his wife and said, I've seen him. I know I'm going home. That's crazy. It just gives you the chills. It gives you the goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was Uncle Chris's. And then after Granddaddy Hayden had talked about seeing Jesus, he knew that he was going to die very, very soon. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. he died three days after that happened. Yeah. So there's a lot more truth to it than I think people give credit for, mm-hmm. yeah. especially in today's world where there's so much secularism involved and, and doubt and seeking for those defined answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I believe it wholeheartedly that it's real. Oh, yeah, I, I do too. And um, like I've heard stories like that now and people kind of just like immediately revert back it, back to it as being like, Especially with like Granddaddy Hayden, who had like a brain tumor, like oh he's hallucinating and all that stuff because the brain tumor is getting worse and all. That. But it's like, how would you have that many experiences and like with with people who are just, you can just tell like when they've experienced that or like from stories you hear like how much peace they have after that. And it's right. Like, there's no way. I mean. And then but. even yeah, like even one step further too. Um, one of my cousins are on the other or their their grandparents on the other side. Their grandmother was dying. And um, growing up, she'd always had a strong Catholic devotion to St. Padre Pio. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think, the day, the day she died, actually, she was, um, she was bedridden. She was in and out of consciousness. But in her, her entire life, she had always had a strong devotion to St. Padre Pio. Yeah. Uh, but she was terrified of death. She was terrified of her final judgment and if she would be going to heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. And... Um, my aunt and uncle showed up a little bit later in the day when she was unconscious at this point. And their siblings had said, mom's probably going to be going pretty soon. She's When she's in consciousness, she's completely uh, deluded. She's talking about people that aren't here. She keeps talking about some man named Padre Pio that's mm-hmm. here, has been talking to her the whole time and things like that. And um, my Aunt and uncle were like they the other family wasn't Catholic, but they they didn't understand the yeah. the like the how strong and powerful that statement actually was that they had that they had given him. But um, yeah, she ended up dying like a very peaceful and holy death. Hmm. And I think that they they firmly believe that Saint Padre Pio helped her yeah. to into, yeah to yeah. ease into her to accept her death mm-hmm. and um, let go and to let go and yeah. that it was time. <clears throat> But wow. there's just there's so many encounters of it too. Yeah, that I don't think you can discredit anything at this point. No, yeah. Let alone like be like even if you don't agree or leave, just be closed off to it with how many powerful experiences you know. There yeah, are. and just yeah. <laughs> and, but like talking about the peace it brings too. Yeah, it makes me really think of the story that Father Pat Biddle had told me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> when Father Pat was at Henderson Holy Name, he was, uh, him and the the vice principal, I think were in charge of all the RCIA. And then the Catholic Church, RCIA is bringing new candidates into the church where you become baptized, confirmed into the church. You become a true member of yeah. the Catholic faith. They had a student there that was um, like a sophomore or junior in high school who wanted to become Catholic and wanted to go through RCIA, but he did not have the support of his mom and dad. And he grew up in a broken home, um, abusive, verbally abusive home, things like that. And he actually was going to RCIA in secret with Father Pat and this other priest. Um, And the day before he was going to be confirmed, he told his parents that tomorrow at Easter Vigil, I'm going to become Catholic. I've already gone through the RCIA classes. I've taken the necessary steps. Will you guys please be there to support me? He got horrible backlash from him. His parents had told him that he was a mistake, that if he was going to go through with this, that they would disown him, that he would be kicked out of the house, that they never loved him, that um, he was nothing but a burden to him, things like that. And the kid ran away from home. What's interesting, so he drove a motorcycle. This is one thing that Father Pat wouldn't mention too at the beginning. He always drove a motorcycle everywhere. Yeah. So Father Pat gets a call at like 1130 at night and it's an ER nurse or somebody from a first responder saying, there's been an accident on road, whatever. Can you come? And this this boy keeps asking for you. And Father Pat said he, he just, he felt sick to his stomach. He said, was he driving a motorcycle? And they said, how do you know that? He said, I'll be right there. When he arrived at the scene, the boy had been hit by a semi. And um, 
he was pronounced dead at the scene. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he was, there was no way he was going to survive anything. I mean, it was, it was very clear. Yeah. Um, so Father Pat was praying for him, cried, and his parents arrived. They were in tears. Father Pat explained his relationship with him and how he would, was helping him become a Catholic and how he was the principal, everything like that, and um, had been close with him. And he asked if he, he asked the parents if if he could have permission to ride with him in the ambulance to pray for him while they were driving to the hospital, and they agreed. So while he was riding in the hot, while he was riding in the ambulance, there was another nurse in the back of the ambulance with him, and um, so I guess a witness. But mm-hmm. he was holding he was just holding his hand and praying for him, and he was in tears, and he felt a pulse. And he started screaming like, "I this this kid's alive!" Yeah. And the nurse said, "No, sweetie, he's not. A, you're you're delusional. You're being yeah. deluded. Yeah, no, he's <clears throat> he's gone. Yeah. yeah, you're. Yeah. Well, he felt another pulse in his hand again, and he said, "This boy is alive." And she said, "No, again." And he sat up and he he opened his eyes and looked at him, and he said he had the most peaceful look on his face. He was grinning from ear to ear and his eyes looked like they were shining. Like they, yeah. they just looked so pure and bright. He mm-hmm. had the brightest eyes. And um, Father Pat started crying. The boys looked at him and he said, Father, I just couldn't go without saying thank you. Yeah. I couldn't say, I couldn't leave without saying goodbye and thanking you. And Father Pat just told him, he said to just rest because you're going to see God soon. Mm-hmm. And the boy looked at Father Pat and said, Father Pat, I've seen God and I know that I'm going home. He said, I just couldn't leave without saying goodbye. I want you to tell my parents I forgive them, that I love them. Wow. And that they need to come, like that, just to to forgive themselves, yeah. things like that too. Yeah. I can't remember like the full nature mm-hmm. of like what the, but anyway, then the boy died again. Or I guess he went back into, yeah. um, what do you call it with the, when you're pronounced dead, but you're not really dead, they can they can ventil- they can like shock you. Yeah, like the, um, cardiac arrest. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. well, he he was pronounced dead again, I guess. But anyway, when they got to the hospital, the parents were there, and, and Father Pat was talking to the funeral directors, and he asked him, "Could you remove his smile when you're doing embalming? Would you guys try to keep it?" And he said that they told Father Pat that I don't think we could remove that smile even if we tried. <laughs> Wow, and he said it was the only time he's ever been to a visitation where someone was smiling in the casket. Wow, so that's crazy. Just yeah, I mean, you guys can think of it what you want yeah. in this story, <laughs> mm-hmm. but when someone's telling the truth, they have so much conviction behind what they're saying. It's it's almost it's 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 impossible not to believe them. Yeah, and yeah. there's just so many things that where the evidence is stacked with mm-hmm. that it would be it'd be the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know where. Yeah. I don't know where. Like, what you want to take away from that? But this stuff is incredible. Yeah. I mean, it it really is, mm-hmm. and it happens every day for these not hospice nurses. Yeah, which which is kind of the craziest thing. Like you said, I don't know. Just also, like, and to me, it brings a whole, almost whole new meaning to death. I mean, it, it kind of takes that. Yeah, that there's still going to be grief. There's still going to be sadness because you're losing someone you love. But hearing stuff like that just makes you, makes me just find a lot more peace in it, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, death is not the, I think death is just the beginning. It is. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's not a, yeah, it's, you don't just go into a hole in the ground and that's mm-hmm. the end. I mean, no. your own personal beliefs are, are yours. Yeah. That's it, fine. I just, I personally don't believe that. And I think everyone's entitled to their opinion. For sure. Yeah. But I, I just think that, that brings a lot more peace and joy to mm-hmm. life, knowing that that's just that life is just the beginning. One, yeah, it was just, it's just the first step, tiny step in your journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I think hearing her story too, how in tune she was with that. That's, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what's incredible to me too. How oh, yeah. she knew, and then she had that vision. She could hear him, and he he sounded so how he was flying. <laughs> that, that voice, yeah. So, it's just. It's incredible stuff. It really is, and it happens every day. You have to. You just have to be willing to, to listen. Yeah, I know. It's um, it really is just mind blowing the fact that uh, she was able to experience that too and hear that in her head. I don't know that that story. It really blew me away. So. And you know the other thing too that Nathan, we're going to completely shift gears now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nathan was talking about how when you finish at five, his granddad told him the story, when you finish at five, 
you hang your hat and you leave work at mm-hmm. work and you come home, you're at home. Yeah. And he says, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that because of the demands of the funeral industry. Yeah. Do you think that's something that's even possible working with a funeral home? It, it is. I mean, I, it's hard, hard to give a clear answer for that, but I mean, I think it's especially harder for someone who's in the funeral home industry because we kind of talked about it the last um, uh, episode ago or two episodes ago. I'm not really sure. But um, you can't just go home and turn the phone off. Like, you know, I, I was telling you, I think I said, I mean, where I'm at in my life, I can go home after work and I can go study and then just go to bed. Don't have to worry about anything until the mm-hmm. next day. But these people are always, they're on call. Um, you know, like they have to be ready to go at a moment's notice. And it's, I can't imagine how incredibly hard it would be to go home and shut shut off until you get a call or, or something like that. Even if you're um like Nathan, if he's not on call but he's still worrying about like how his other funeral directors are doing, make sure they're making sure they're okay, making sure they're serving families okay, and uh, doing it with love and uh, support and care out of their heart. So well, yeah, like and just never even being able to turn it off either. Yeah, that's what I said. he can't. He said he can't go home and turn his phone off. You know, <laughs> I just it's constantly buzzing. Yeah, I mean, like I don't understand how how you can how you can do that. I mean, it's there's a reason that it is like like he said, it's a corporal work of mercy. Yeah, um, and I think too, like that ties in with hospice workers who are constantly oh, yeah. working, constantly overseeing twenty four hour care to someone that's on their deathbed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I do, I do believe that he, he said like, I don't know how, like, like he said, I don't know how to hang my hat, but I think that those in the service industries are some of the most selfless people on this earth and the sacrifices they have to make are constant. Oh, for sure. And I mean, like they're painful at the same time Yeah, because their environments demand that, that Mm -hmm. they have to sacrifice so much based on what they're exposed to, they, they're sacrificed to the fact that they don't have their own free time, that they're going to be missing significant life events. Yeah, yeah. They also have to, um, let me think here. Yeah, like on, on top of missing those different things, they also have to work in environments that aren't necessarily the most desirable. Yeah, they're for in sure. clean. They're in unclean. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with death. You're dealing yeah. with the dying. Um, so... You're dealing yeah. with like human waste. You're dealing yeah. with decom- decomposing, like all kinds of different stuff. When you, too. You're on a time clock too. Like you can't put something off. Technically, I mean, you couldn't put a loved one who has passed away off because you do have, you are on a time clock from the moment you pick them up to the moment they have a visitation or something like that. You have to make sure they're in their best presentable way. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it'd be incredibly hard to like you mentioned. Just, I mean, for, for me, I think I, it goes unnoticed in my head, um, that these people are constantly dealing with gr- with grief and death. And we, we touched on it a little bit, but like how hard that would be mentally and emotionally on on you, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, say you're experiencing something like for Father Pat's instance where he had like a someone very close to him had passed away. Like the that's a very saddening time. Like even if you don't necessarily know that loved one who has passed away, you're still going home and you have that heavy burden on your chest to try to like, say for Nathan, go home and see his boys. Mm-hmm. If he's experiencing something that's very uh, grief-filled and saddening to go home and, and see his boys and kind of like sh- shut that off and then yeah. show joy and love to his sons. You know, it's, um, I feel like that'd be incredibly tough just to flip on an instance. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think even further than that too, like it's, I don't know how much of it is like actually self-imposed. Yeah. And I'm not talking about, ju- I'm talking about as a whole because, it is incredibly admirable how much these people are willing and do give of themselves. Yeah. But how much of it do you think is actually necessary? Because, I mean, I think that while it is a vocation, I don't think it's God's intention to have a vocation completely destroy, like not destroy, but just exhaust you to the point yeah. of numbness and, and uh, damaging other relationships and things like that. I mean, I think it's just... I think it's a vicious cycle or a double-edged sword. And it what, is, yeah. And what I mean by that is the service sector, especially for funeral homes or for the funeral industry and for hospice workers, is not a desirable occupation. No, the hours no. are long. The working conditions are not 
clean, so yeah. to speak. I mean, yes, like everything is FDA compliant. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, like you we don't, you don't want to. Yeah, I mean, how many people can you? If you took a random poll, how many people would say I want to go touch dead people yeah, at two exactly. thirty yeah. in the morning? Yeah. So your work mm-hmm. hours are inconsistent. Your pay is not as like what it would be at like a Fortune five hundred company. Yeah. If you're working like a as an accountant or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, like a a typical structure. Corporate office, yeah. You're dealing with the things you have to deal with in those roles. So because of all of these negative factors, quote unquote negative factors working against you, you, um, your your pick of the pool is a lot smaller. So as a result of that, you have more work getting put on to the same people who can't delegate it because there's not anyone else who mm-hmm. they're already handling and juggling the same different things. Oh, yeah. Wearing 10 different hats for a single service or multiple services in a day. So I think that inability to, to delegate is what's created this inability to hang your hat. I don't yeah. think it's a matter of like the actual work, but I think it's because there's so few that are actually willing to answer the call to do this. Yeah, yeah. That this is what it's created. Mm-hmm. And someone oh, has to do this yeah. too. Yeah, it can't be. Um, you can't put bodies in a dumpster. No. So, yeah, yeah. And I guess you could, but <laughs> I don't know if that'd be the most um, humane. Be like an episode <laughs> of Dexter. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I firmly agree with that. I think that's just a very common theme in um, the field of service too. Just you know, not not solely the um, funeral industry, but I think there's there's many other service industries that are like that because. Mm-hmm. There are so few that are willing to answer the call of this, even if they are being called to it by the Father or by just their, they think their, whatever their vocation they think it is. Mm-hmm. But um, because I, I've talked to some, I have some priest friends that I'm pretty close to, and talked to them about that. Who are, I mean, you see, like I've talked to them about their schedule, and they're going from six a.m. to until they lay their head down the next morning, they wake up and do it again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you like? Do you have any time to yourself? And it's like, well my job is to serve, like, and I love it, but it's for sure it's taxing and tolling, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, with Father Pat, he, he he goes off for two, three weeks and just shuts off because he like, he has to have those two, three weeks in his year. And like, but those besides those, the other 49 weeks of the year, he's serving from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. at night, you know? A, a, a total uh, pouring out of oneself. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I, I've texted him at, on a Saturday at like 7 and be like, you want to, if I come over, we just talk for a little bit, like just hang out. And he's like, I'm, I'm done for the night. That's like, I don't feel any, like, you know, any, I'm just like, I get that, you know, take your time to yourself. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, you, you need that because if not, you're never going to get it. And it's not you know? a shot at you or no, anyone not at else. All. Like, like even, even if I, even if I'm just going over to talk to him just for fun, like I still, it's like, you, you need time to yourself. And it's like, and I'll talk to him the next day. And he'll be like, yeah, I went to bed like right after that. I was like, good. Like you need to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes me like the next question I have for you is, what are the chances that 95% of funeral directors, embalmers are operating somewhere between a fine line of a nervous breakdown and efficiency? Oh, hi. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, like, I think that's, I mean, I don't see how, how they're not because, you know, like they're just, just constantly going, 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 going. And, I, for one, like, I cannot see myself, like, if I was in their spot, I would be dancing on that that thin line, you know? It would be, like, a high-wire climb. Because, one, like, just the lack of sleep. Yeah. (laughs) And then, two, it's, like, the feeling of having people, like, constantly rely on you. It's, it might be a rewarding feeling because, like, you know these families, like, you're being able to serve them. But then there's that opposite side to where you know that they're relying on you and you have that constant pressure. It's like this family, like if I don't do this, if I don't do this for them, then they're not getting something. So every every decision you make from the moment you meet with the family is all eyes on you. Yeah, and it has weight. And then if it doesn't go exactly how they pictured or even close to how they pictured, it falls back on you. If it goes well, probably it's going to be going unnoticed because they expect it to be that way. Yeah. So that there's really, there's no like, there's a risk reward. Like you do have the reward of like the fact that you know that you started that family, but you might not get that reward from, from that family. Sure. And so it's like probably nine, I'd say over 95% of the time too, like <laughs> they are, there's, they are, um, and I don't think any funeral directors, like at least the ones I know are w- wanting any 
sort of thanks from the families. Like I've never mm-hmm. heard that. I've never even seen that from them. But I'm sure it would be nice. And like, but I'm sure they've had instances where they've gotten negative feedback from the families, and that, mm-hmm. that just weighs weighs you down emotionally, and physically, mentally, in all these ways, and it, it just has to take a toll. Yeah, I I agree. And like, I don't know if that answered the question. I mean, I think you I think you did. <laughs> I, I think I, I, I'm trying to remember what he asked. <laughs> It's something about like fine line. Yeah, like, I, I touched for like a half a second. Yeah, I went somewhere else. We're okay. <laughs> yeah, you just opened up another avenue, Jake. <laughs> That's all you did. It was it was sweet. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd have to agree with you like that. And it's not just, in my opinion, that they have this stress that's added to them because they're serving this family. Yeah. Well, there is that risk to reward ratio. Mm-hmm. The stress is the fact that it has to be perfect. Yeah, uh-huh. the expectations that are set are, I mean, they're they're perfect. Yeah, they you have to be they perfect. Really are. There's mm-hmm. no room for error, which blows my mind because we're imperfect and we're <laughs> and, imperfect and we're, beings. We're striving for perfection. I think it's so noticeable. Like whenever they are like have um, a full day downstairs and they ask us to come downstairs and help, like set up a visitation room or something like that. And you can just see, like, in the directors when they're when you're setting the room up, like, how they're like analyzing every little detail. And like, I was down there the other day, and Mike was like, "Move that podium like half an inch and like slant it a little bit." And I was like, "What are you seeing?" And it's like, and she's "Yeah, like, just do it." And I moved it, and she's like, "Okay, perfect." Yeah. And I was like, "I don't know if that did anything, but all right." And it's just it's <laughs> it's like the sixth sense. Yeah. The funeral mm-hmm. director. It's the sixth sense. Yeah. yeah I couldn't get the. Noise out. <laughs> the uh, but like it's. I mean, even one time too, they had us go down for like an all hands on deck moment. Yeah, and we had to iron a flag. Oh yeah, that's right, a mm-hmm. dangling flag. Yeah, I remember that. That was hard. That was. <laughs> we probably we spent way too much time on. We spent a lot of time with this little handheld steamer, and yeah. then they they went and looked back at it, and they they just said. This is not right. Like, just, just give me the steamer. I'll do yeah. it myself. Yeah. Like after we, mm-hmm. we were, I, I was proud of what we did. Oh, too. I was too. Yeah, but like, and I, I remember that when we were ironing it, like we were steaming it, and I remember like kind of after like seeing like, like realizing how many like how all of them were running around behind us, and me and you had this one job of just steaming the flag, <laughs> and they probably did like fifteen tasks when we we're doing this one flag. Picture frames getting yeah. set up, and we're like, yeah, we did it. Tissue boxes <laughs> out, perfect fold over for the Kleenex, yeah. and we're over here folding or not even folding a flag, steaming, steaming it. Yeah, and but, we had to go fill it up with water and figure out where it was, and then. All to do yeah. it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. we broke, didn't we mess up one of the legs in the podium yeah, too? Yeah, I, I think I like kicked it or something. Just but, shows uh, that we aren't called. No, but no, I noticed that today too, um, I had to help deliver some flowers out to St. Martin's to, um, f- for a family. And then we had to go to the, the, the graveside after and deliver flowers. And it wasn't really like anything super, but now we're talking about, I noticed like we, um, me and someone from downstairs got to St. Martin's and like we dropped it off. Like, I remember the whole time, like, we were loading this van. And she was like, All right, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta meet this time. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And like, we got there, dropped the flowers off. And while we're pulling out, pulling out of St. Martin's, like, the, the family's pulling in. And it was like, we beat it by like two minutes. Yeah. And then we got to the cemetery and dropped the flowers off and we're pulling out of the cemetery, I mean, the cemetery. And the family's pulling in, like, right after, like, with, with the, with the, um, the procession. And it's like, we literally, like, made it with less than like seconds to spare. And I was like, holy crap, like they're on such a tight schedule. Yes. And no wonder everything has to be like perfect and like set up to a T. <clears throat> Today I was like, man, I, like, I was just literally just driving a car and <laughs> dropping off flowers. And I was like, this is so stressful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and like, like you want to be, if you're not there before the family, like they don't have what they need. It is because of the, like the demands that they have to meet that they inadvertently set stress onto others. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, it, it's, it's, all subconsciously done, I think, and it's mm-hmm. it's not ill willed. But no, not at all. Yeah. Like with my job, I am one of my responsibilities is to oversee vaults and make sure that they get all the orders are in that that we separate them to the different warehouses within Morris Family Services across the state of Kentucky. Um, but if we're getting low on inventory at one or one or the other locations. It's always such an urgent thing. I mean, there could be seven vaults left. Yeah, which is a pretty high number. And like, I, I'm com- I'm confident with that inventory. And I'll get a call, and it's it's panic. Yeah, and it's not it's not through any fault of their own. It's because 
I think that funeral directors are so used to operating under that stress yeah. and avoiding scrutiny that they they want to control everything yeah. they can control. And they um, seek like, any amount of cushion that they can possibly have. Any, it's so it's so small. Mm-hmm. Which it, is understandable for sure, like you said. And that's what like is has been one of my biggest challenges, I think, is working directly alongside funeral directors is trying to understand their point of view. Yeah. That mm-hmm. while it may not be anywhere near as urgent as what they're giving off, it's that still I still owe them that level of respect because they've they've got enough stuff that comes up oh, that's yeah. like another variable and something mm-hmm. like here comes here comes something else that we have to deal with. If they can control any of the like parts of the process, they want to make sure that it's in control. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, it's kind of something that I'm like seeing more because I, I didn't have that experience like you did like in kind of in um, on the ground almost like having the boots on the ground with in this industry. Just in the up, trenches? Yeah, exactly. I've just been upstairs um, behind a computer the whole time. You got to get your hands dirty. <laughs> yeah. But like I see more and more every day of just like how it's like you can have a schedule one minute and literally the next minute like something else happens. Like boom, you, I have to be here right now to be there. And it's like, man, these people, they have to learn how to roll with the punches so well. And I was like, I, don't, I could not do that. Because I mean, it, I literally wake up like I mean, my whole day is structured down to a T. If anything changes, I like to lose my mind. So. And you'll get punched in the face a lot too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, be able to take a punch. Dude, the worst is when you're trying to play music in the chapel for a funeral, and then a YouTube ad shows up <laughs> and it's blaring over the loudspeaker, and you can't skip it because it's five seconds. So <laughs> it's like Doritos. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry to whoever that happened to because I remember that. Oh, I was yeah. beat red. Yeah. <laughs> And I just kind of sat there and was like, okay. Yeah. Oh, man, that, that's kind of, it's not funny. But it was it unfortunate. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. But, I mean, that's Dang. like the, that's just like the level, like, you have to, like, you can't even, it's weird how much you overthink stuff, too. Like, by nature, you're probably not a very overthinking person, like, in terms of, like, actually taking care of your work, right? Oh, you no, trust yeah. your work. Yeah. You trust that what you did was correct. Mm-hmm. You start to really overthink even the littlest of details, so the music room is the, another perfect example. When we would have services, I would have this like the, the like the track would already be set up on iTunes for the playlist, and you fade the music out with the volume button, yeah, um, or the volume knob. And I would like be very. It was always you had to get the volume to a certain point to where it's not blaring, yeah, but the old people can hear it. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but you also got to. <laughs> Excuse me. You also got to remember not to turn the volume up too fast so it doesn't sound unnatural when it merges into like yeah. the full sound. And then when you drown out the music, you got to do it at a certain speed to where it's still like directly like flows when the minister comes up too. So I would watch my fingers turn the knob. Like, can, it, is it moving? Is it moving too fast? I mean, things that you should. It's almost like turning your car key. Yeah. And when you start your engine, you don't think about how hard am I turning no, yeah, my you car. Just do it, yeah, yeah, it's, you just do it. But mm-hmm. you start to pay attention to how you do it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> I can clearly picture you doing that. Just like, and you can't stop it. Yeah, either. Mm-hmm. It's, which is, which is understandable because you want to serve these people with the utmost respect and care, mm-hmm. and so you don't want even the slightest thing that. Like, I'm sure something like that, even if you did do it wrong, they wouldn't notice, but you're telling yourself that they like, you just ruined all, you know, their moment. And so. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's, it's so much pressure. Yeah. It is. It is so much on top of everything else tied into it. It's, it, when you can look back on the stories now and kind of laugh about some of them, Mm -hmm. but you put yourself through hell (laughs) to make sure that someone else is cared for. Yeah. Um, and I think that, like, you also don't ever keep in mind the fact that everybody's human. Yeah. With all that, mm-hmm. you just you let the you let the expectations eat you alive. And I think a lot of that ties back to Nathan's last podcast talking about expectations. Yeah. But even even more over to like hanging your hat, like you set up these expectations that are drilled into you at work because this entire sector has created that mindset that you have to be at beck and call for everything because your attention to detail has to be so perfect yeah. that you had to carry it over outside of that. So if the phone rings, well, like why don't coroners take people to the morgue yeah. 
because the corners are the first ones there at the response. Mm-hmm. Corners don't meet people for arrangements. All they do is pronounce dead at the, the scene. Yeah. Why don't they take them to the morgue and do something like that? Why do the directors have to be there 15 minutes after the first call? Yeah. And just that constant pressure, There's that's why you can't hang your hat. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I think it's just, it's tough. Yeah. And this is something I think a lot of people would have the heart to do and would care to do, but... Um, when you have those unrealistic life set expectations, then it's not it's not feasible. Yeah, no, no, especially day in day out, every day of your life. Right, yeah. it's and it's just, it's not like a nine week class. No, where like man, yeah. this is hell week, and I had to do it. Or like in the Marines, where they yeah. go through hell week and do mm-hmm. things like that for their training. It's it's your reality. Yeah, it's every day, <laughs> and it never escapes you. No, so Mm-mm. that is. The double-edged sword, yeah. I think for sure working in this industry, yeah, mm-hmm. and it it's what it demands right now too. So I mean, then you get ways to be creative, which is what he started to do. Yeah, which is really cool to see that, that there's you kind of mentioned like slowly trying to enforce that change to help you know that double-edged sword not be so not be so sharp. Yeah, because even directors will talk about on their days off they feel. Like something's missing, that they're doing something, that they've forgotten something, or that yeah, they feel like there's, there's a service going on. They feel like they got to be there, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, and it, like you can't even say no to certain things either. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is really, it's really tough to hear people say that when, when so badly, like they, they just want a little bit, like Father Pat, just, you need, you don't want, but you need that little bit of time for yourself yeah, to recuperate. Yeah. And, you've become so ingrained that you can't say no. Yeah, which that, is crazy because like... And you know, know it'll be good for you. Yeah. You know it'll it'll help you. Kind of pointing back to like what you said, like it's kind of really interesting to see. I feel like most of us have, when we have some free time, we don't necessarily like need it. Like, I don't know, if I have a day off, like I really don't need it. Like, <laughs> you know, like I, I work, I go to school and I play tennis, but it's not like... I'm not putting mass amount of stress on stress on myself, but these people like need it. You know, oh, they, they, <laughs> they they need it. It's like they physically need it to be like, like a human. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> not a robot. No, they they need it like a fish needs water. Exactly. Yeah, but they're still on that day off. I mean, because if I have a day off, like, and someone asks me to do something, I'm like, heck no. I'm yeah. I won't I'm even gonna, answer my phone anymore. Yeah, no, but I what, used to, and that's that's what it no, like yeah. on, my, on my Saturdays and Sundays. I don't. I try not to look at my phone until like eleven or twelve in the afternoon. Um, just because I, I guess, don't want to talk to anyone, like, <laughs> which sounds really bad. But I'm just like, hell, like, I'm just gonna. I want me time. I'm gonna wake up, like, I like, read and I have coffee for like two hours. Yeah, <laughs> stare out of, like a window into the abyss. And, but, <laughs> <laughs> contemplate all of life's yeah, mysteries. I just, yeah, I, I love it, but like, I don't need. I'm like, I literally could do so much stuff at that time, but I just do it because I want want to. But these people, people like. On that day off, they'll still like go. Like you said, they'll go out, or they'll feel guilty for not doing anything. You know, which blows my mind. It doesn't become what you do; it becomes who you are. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think. For and sure. I don't think that being service driven is defined by what by what you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's yeah, actions speak louder for than words. Yeah, but I agree. I, I just think that there's a healthy balance. No, yeah, I that is. Impossible but to locate. I'm also like a firm believer. Like I think you, you said before too, like that the, the Father just bestows ample graces upon these people to give them that servant heart. You know that they're mm-hmm. constantly like ready to serve, even when they have stuff going on. They're ready to drop it a hat, be there for someone, which I think is solely from the Father. I, in I my opinion, I agree. Um, just my just one step further though. I don't I don't know if. The intent behind that too, though, is while you are ready to answer that beck and call to service, I don't think it means damaging your relationships and putting no putting yes. putting those that, that love you and that you love on the back burner for sure to satisfy a family. And I, yeah. I, I don't mean by sad, but but to help a yeah, family too, sure. to help another. I mean, it, I don't know. I don't see any. No, I, I, I just agree. I think there's that balance between the two where it's okay to delegate it or. Um, trusting your team, but like I mean, I think even one step further, you just have to see that it's not a, it's not. You don't have to give that much of yourself no, to yeah. still be a servant to do mm-hmm. that. Oh, for sure. No, because I'm I 
like the father calls us to do stuff. Like our vocations were ultimately led from his will to, to be like our happiest version of ourselves, you know? Be joyful. To be joyful. And like through, through that, we will find our joy and happiness and, and peace and love and all those good gifts that he bestows upon us. And that's still what we've, I think we, we tend to lose sight of we're, if we're going down, try, trying to follow this vocation, um, we lose sight of that stuff that what's going to bring me the ultimate happiness, you know, like, like you said, like you still have to have time. Like, are you truly happy if you're not devoting time to yourself, time to your family, time to the people that you love? And like, there's no possible way. Like you have these people, like, like you said, you can't constantly put them on the back burner, you know, mm-hmm. and like he doesn't want us to, I don't, I don't believe, but um, right. we still have to have, we have, we have these people in place in our lives to bring us closer and to be happy, to be loved, you know, to enjoy all these emotions. And so I think it's such a hard thing to do. Like I've even struggled with it in my life is devoting time to that. Like, you know, to those aspects of my life, to be with friends and family and people that I care and I love and I know that love me. And it's hard to do even like in my life. So I can't imagine how it is for someone who's constantly doing the, doing tenfold of what I'm doing, you know? And so it's like, I feel like we, we so easily lose sight of that. And it's like, can we truly be happy if we're doing this all the time? Isn't it crazy to think too that in your eyes, like, in, in, like the, in the mind of a funeral director that their constant devotion to others that like, but to the, like how admirable it is. And it is oh, great, yeah. but <laughs> like maybe to the eyes of others who's impacting that this constant dedication and selflessness to others has inadvertently turned them selfish as a result. No, yeah, no, I firmly, I agree, I agree with that. Like I thought about that um, when we talked a few episodes ago, it's like, I wonder, um, I think we touched on it a little bit, but I wonder like how these effects, if it has shaped people to think of them poorly, like so, like, like, like they're selfish or like, like they're too work driven or too, um, yeah, like encompassed in the end. Um, encompassed by their work and serving yeah and so it's like i'm sure people do get twisted by that and i don't think it's ever it's never meant to be that way like he's never no one intentionally mm-hmm. tried to do that but i think it has happened i mean i'm sure it has happened there are instances and it's tough to see i'm sure it's it's tough on both parties you know sure the director and the family and so yeah i mean i, I think you're then you start having to fight the internal battle of yeah well, I have to serve. This is what I'm do. Mm-hmm. The families need me. I mean, this like, can well, wait. Well, our family needs you yeah. too. Or this, <laughs> this, I mean, we need you, yeah. right? And like, and like you said earlier, it's like, there's just really like... You can't be two places at no. once. You and can't. also, it's like a lesser of two evils too. Because mm-hmm. so, I mean, they're, no, lesser of two goods. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because they're both like ultimately good things. But, um, but yeah, at what just, point does pride make you sacrifice for the other? Yeah. So, I don't know. Let I think that could be. I mean, that's that, that <laughs> But I think that can be applied to anything, though, too. Oh, not 100%. just for funeral. No. Oh my directors, gosh. You can place anything, any aspect of your life. You've got a hobby. You've got things like that. When mm-hmm. you're starting to shut others out, especially those that you love and care for, and, and that they and others that love you, when you're shutting them out for this one particular thing yeah. or a couple of different things, when you have unhealthy. Um, perceptions on yeah. like your job or on a hobby or on yeah, uh, anything in your life money can, yeah whatever can it might an be. idol yeah but, like even if it's not if it's not a bad thing like that can become an idol sure it can yeah so yeah well i think that's a that was a 360 <laughs> <laughs> yeah how about that we just we went from uh we just went from the free throw line yeah we went from <laughs> hospice care to like dunking at half court to near death <laughs> stories and yeah. then here we are yeah that's now we're just ripping on the funeral industry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all good. And, They're all great people. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to give yeah. the wrong. Yeah, like, and this is not to give the wrong view on anyone that works in this field or about the field as a whole. I'm just saying yeah. that because you guys truly are, and you are like you guys are such great people and do such great things, and I truly do admire you guys. Like I haven't, I've um only been like around it and for a short while, but. It's like completely changed my perception, and like I've gained a lot of respect for what you all do. It's no, truly it's, admi- like you said, it's truly admirable. It is. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a total giving of yourself, yeah. but not maybe not total. It shouldn't be your total yeah. giving of self. It should. I just that's just my opinion. Yeah. Well, and like 
like you said it a minute or two ago, like this can be applied to any work, you know, anybody's work. Like I'm, I know people that have done it in other industries, you know, they, they just get fully consumed by their job. I think it's just a very common thing in today's society mm-hmm. because like everyone is striving and like I said, it's all, a lot of times it's for a good purpose, like for a great purpose, but um, just being driven to do the best and to do good for others and all that stuff can be consuming. And blind you. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, yeah, so just keep that in mind, I think, throughout this week and until next episode, we'll, yeah. we'll bring up some more questions for you yeah. to think about. But Yeah, we'll put something. Yeah, we'll, put things. We'll, we'll, we'll let something marinate. <laughs> yeah, put things, put things in perspective and yeah. and see what like you actually, what, what really matters. Yeah. And, you know, because at the end of the day, when we're going to be those people that are laying there and they're, we're talking about people we see that have died. Yeah. And you've got hospice nurses. Do you think we're going to be talking about how much money we made or how many business deals were done or how many properties you owned? Or are you going to be talking about the, because none of them are talking about seeing their bank account. Yeah. So. But they're seeing people they loved and people that loved them. Yeah. So, so. You, can't take it, you can't take it to the grave. No. You don't Just want to be the richest out. person in the cemetery either. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Yeah. Can't go, spend it. Go out there and love radically and treat people good. You know, spread some love. We all need that nowadays. And say hi, people. Give a hug. Smile. Yeah. Even even just a, a little wave or a head nod, it'll go a long way. Just everyone needs some love in their life, so don't be afraid to spread it. There you go. You'll get some good repercussion. I feel like I think so too. <laughs> yes. Be sure to tune in next week with us. We're we're excited to have you all yeah. here, and and we're Thank gonna keep on trucking. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Andrew. It was oh, fun. JT, this was a good one. Yeah, it was, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. God all right. bless y'all. Peace and love. <laughs>